hello, everyone, and I am your host of today's episode, Jagger, um, and today I am going to be discussing my top 15 movies, and why everything stands where it does for me. Um, these 15 movies are going to be movies that have an impact on me personally. If you disagree with them, well, I respect that for you, but I'm going to be discussing why they moved me in a very, very deep manner. So yeah, uh, my list will be starting at number 15 with a movie that was a recent first watch for me, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I never really knew Wes Anderson before this year came about, but I started with The Royal Tenenbaums, which was a great movie, but at some point along the way, I ended up watching The Grand Budapest Hotel. And this movie, not only did I love it, but it changed my view of film as a whole, as a medium. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel magnificently captures the essence of like an older comedy and your chaplains and whatnot. But it does it in a way with these colors and everything, which I get Anderson is known for now. There's just something about the actual way everything comes together with the use of three-quarter rooms. And, like I said, the color use, the acting, the cast, the music, everything was put together in this nice little Wes Anderson bow. It's just, it's great. It's, It's truly magnificent. Ray Fiennes is a brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, he comes along <laughs> later on this list again, but you have him, you have Edward Norton, who's brilliant, brilliant actor, like I said, with Ray Fiennes. You have Willem Dafoe, and I mean, who doesn't love Willem Dafoe? Willem Dafoe's awesome. And you have other people in this cast. You have Tilda Swinton, I believe. You have Bill Murray. You have Owen Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, is in there at some point. I think. Wait, Owen, no? Is it Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. I might be thinking of. I might be thinking of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, no, Owen Wilson, I think, is also in there. Um, F. Murray Abraham, Adrian Brody. All these really brilliant, magnificent actors and actresses that are your regulars in a Wes Anderson movie. Um, They're all really, really great. Uh, Like I mentioned, the music is amazing as well. And it's such like a comforting movie. It's like, it's a comfort film for me and it's it's just so nice it's so pleasant it's in my opinion a perfect film for if not perfect very very close to perfect but it's really really funny with some touching moments as well it's it's great really great um so i'm gonna move down to number 14 now um this is a movie that had huge, huge, huge significance to me. This was a 2022 release, I believe. It is maybe one of two on here. Um, 
Babylon. Babylon meant a lot to me. Um, and I understand with, like, a long, long run time like Babylon had, you're going to run into people that would not be willing to watch a three-hour and ten-minute movie about <laughs> the transition from silent to sound film. But if you actually do get into it, it's really great. Um, it tells the stories of early Hollywood in a comedic manner, and it's really, really funny. Um, but the reason this had so much significance to me, um, I am someone who's very, very um, knowledgeable, I'd say, about the film world. I'd like to believe so. Um, so I've been on like a film set before. I've been surrounded by film my whole life. But the thing about Babylon is that it takes such like true things about Hollywood and its past with having to film in hot boxes <laughs> and whatnot. And the people that will come in with the ability to do sound film the people that would go out because they were just good looking but not really in the ability to memorize lines and well other things in there as well but and I know I just described the movie but this movie um it was a love letter to film and I know it's been said time and time again but it was a love letter to movies and it did that so well in a really like fast-paced way that it made like such a long time span of story so so interesting and very few movies are able to really hold on to you like babylon did for such a long long span like a long duration of time if you will and babylon didn't just do that babylon didn't just hold you, it made you wish it didn't have to end so soon, because it could have easily gone on for another two hours, and I would have stayed watching, you had such fun characters, like you have Tobey Maguire's character, whoever he plays <laughs> in that movie, you have actors like Flea playing characters, Flea's not even an actor, Flea's a bassist, but he is really good in it, um, and you have just such a cool, cool export of a film, not export, like, you know what I mean, an output of the idea, they did it so well, it just came together so nicely, and like I said, it's a really, really fun movie that tells all the debauchery of early Hollywood, um, and the movie just feels like it was made on an absolute cocaine-fueled burst of energy that Damien Chazelle had, he, he had a lot of fun with it, you know, he, he seemed to show his love of film in it, which was great. And like I said, you have actors like Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, um, some other people. 
and there are the party scenes of the movie that are just so fun and so cool. And then you'll have scenes where they're actually on set that are just the funniest things because they're accurate while also being a little bit comedic for entertainment value. And it almost teaches you a little bit while also staying true to a fun, cool movie. Um, I love Damien Chazelle. Um, in my opinion, it's his best work. It's just so... It's such a good time, Babylon. Um, but yeah, no. As having grown up around movies entirely, with movies being something I have, like that are breathed in my household. It's just, it really is just a very, very touching movie in the end. But, yeah, no, it was very, very enjoyable, in my opinion. <laughs> so number 13 for me, number 13 will be Little Miss Sunshine. Um, talk about touching movies. Little Miss Sunshine was great from beginning to end. Um, the performances were amazing. Were truly, truly amazing from everyone. The story was great. The, um, the chemistry from actor to actor was amazing. It was, it was sad. It's, it makes you cry, but also laugh at the same time. It's, it's a feeling that doesn't get replicated a lot from just watching a movie. Um, but this movie does truly evoke a feeling from deep down inside you that's joy and sadness. You know, I mean, you have amazing performances from everyone. Steve Carell was great. Paul Dano was great. Alan Arkin was hysterical. Greg Kinnear was amazing. Tony Collette was amazing. Abigail Breslin, I think her name is, is great. Um, and these amazing performances with such a brilliantly written script, such an amazing cast. It's just amazing. It's amazing. The score was great. It was just chaotic brilliance in a way that a lot of movies have tried to replicate but nothing has really done that for me like this movie did it's such a quirky brilliantly paced happy little trip it has its sad moments, I tell you. It's, it, it does really get you in some parts. I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to emphasize how it's so funny, but also has an underlying sense of, like, really, like, it'll... Man, it's hard to say a movie's so funny when it also makes you cry so much. Some of that being tears of joy, if you will, and others being absolute like 
feel depressed in that moment. I was trying to fix that phrase, and I guess that's the best I'm going to do. Um, I'm trying to think how, how you phrase a movie like Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, I guess you got to kind of watch it to explain it, but it's... No matter how I explain it, I'm gonna not. I'm not gonna do it the justice it deserves. It's an incredible, incredible film that invokes a lot of feeling in you, and I think that's the best I'm gonna do. So I don't wanna make the movie sound bad at all because it's not. It's amazing, and I highly recommend it. Um. So, I don't know what else to say, but I do have a lot to say about our next movie. Our next movie being number 12, I believe. Number 12, Pulp Fiction. Whoa. I mean, (laughs) if you're going to talk about movies that get overspoken a lot, um, you're going to get every single Tarantino movie on that list. I mean, everyone talks about... Tarantino's movies time and time again in their favorite movies but man my favorite of his is Pulp Fiction the only one that does make this list if I'm not mistaken here it's the only Tarantino that's gonna be making this list for me this movie is amazing it's amazing um now I mean there are definitely some issues with this movie uh some scenes are a little bit i don't want to say outdated because this movie is actually aged incredibly um some moments are a little bit taboo if you will um i do believe (laughs) every single time tarantino's in his own movie he writes himself in to say the n-word um, cause I didn't see him in one of his movies that I watched of his. I just know in both Django and Pulp Fiction, he has himself say it, and I, I don't know. That's, it's not gonna age well at all. <laughs> um, but that aside, Pulp Fiction is incredible. Cause it's comedy drama, it's a little messed up moment involving a samurai sword that I don't want to spoil too much about, but I mean, if you haven't seen this movie already, what are you doing? (laughs) There's very few movies I've seen get referenced as much as Pulp Fiction. Um, Every single movie theater has like a Pulp Fiction poster up. (laughs) Um, It's such an iconic movie with some amazing lines. Uh, I've always wondered this, so if you do, if you do do it, um, please record it and tag me on TikTok. What happens if you go and order a quarter pounder as a Royale with cheese? I'd like to know. Like, if you get a movie fan as your person, will they give you a quarter pounder? Like, I genuinely wonder. So if you do do that, um, please do tag me in it. Jagger Film Reviews on TikTok. I'd like to see that happen. I think that would be a great moment for, I think that's Burger King that does the quarter pounder, right? Who does the quarter pounder? Is that McDonald's or Burger King? I've never, I haven't ordered a quarter pounder in 
a long time. Yeah, McDonald's does the Quarter Pounder. And if you Google Royale with cheese. I would like to know. Can you actually get that? There's a restaurant in Michigan. Michigan City called Royale with cheese. And on their description they have quotes from Pulp Fiction. That's pretty cool. That's actually really cool. I would like to know though. Please order the Royale with cheese. I would like to I'd like to see that go go down. <laughs> Pulp Fiction's a very long movie with incredible, incredible performances from the whole cast. Uma Thurman's amazing. Bruce Willis is amazing. Ving Rhames is great. Samuel Jackson's brilliant as always. John Travolta's amazing. John Travolta's always great. I love John Travolta. Um, but yeah, no, you have a lot of actors in here early on, in, earlier on in their career. Um, giving great performances. Um, it's such, so brilliantly written. Like, every line of Pulp Fiction is perfect. Um, now, the reason this doesn't stand higher on my list, even though I'm talking about how perfect it is and how quotable and funny it is, is because of all the movies remaining on this list, I would say this didn't have as much of an impact on me as others like as far as like changing my life this wasn't high up there but it definitely did set a new standard for what I expect out of films especially out of Tarantino films because I haven't seen his whole filmography which I hope to do by the end of the year I'll hopefully make a podcast episode later in the year um discussing his whole filmography once I do get that out of the way and I'll probably just uh, just end up saying the same things I'm saying now about Pulp Fiction (laughs) But I'll get around to rewatching it at some point. Um, so I can go into a deeper analysis. I should probably give it its own episode, honestly. But Pulp Fiction um, is great because it tackles concepts like drugs and rape. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's not it. That makes Pulp Fiction sound a lot deeper than it is. But yeah, no, there's. There's some scenes in there that are <laughs> a little wacky. Um, yeah, it tackles some deep stuff in the most comedic way ever. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, so iconic with every scene. Like, the scene um, where they're dancing at that restaurant. That restaurant as a whole, that whole segment is so good. Like, the whole period of time where John Travolta and Uma Thurman are having conversations. The chemistry's great. The whole vibe is just so awesome. Um, we got some great scenes. Whenever Samuel L. Jackson starts quoting the Bible, I don't know what he's quoting. I haven't read the Bible. Um, oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> um, but whatever he's quoting, when he starts holding that gun up at people while they sit in a chair. <laughs> That's always... It's always good fun. The whole movie's great. It's very fun, like I said. 
but the whole movie is just amazing. Like, from cover to cover, you have a brilliant master class of film. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say too much, because I'll go into an in-depth analysis of the whole movie at a later date. So, stay watching for that. Stay, stay, look out for that. Um, okay, this is where we start getting into movies that genuinely changed my whole grasp on film. Some of them you won't agree with me on from here on out. This is where I have some hot takes. Um, but... Those four movies were great. Um, This is where it goes from great to mind-bogglingly great. Um, I'm going to start this with number... 11? No. Yeah, 11. Number 11. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. This movie... um, Oof. I think I cried easily four or five times throughout the span of this movie. Um, First of all, let's just get the cast out of the way. Paul Rudd, Joan Cusack, Ezra Miller, Emma Watson. Ezra Miller, I... Ooh, Ezra Miller's a... (laughs) Ezra Miller's a taboo guy now. Ezra Miller. Didn't he kidnap a child recently? I don't think I can talk about that. Go to... Go go to the news for that one. I don't want to incorrectly state anything that will make you hate him more than you probably already do. <laughs> um, he's doing The Flash this year, right? Isn't that movie coming out? Huh? Yeah, Ezra Miller. He's one strange guy. <laughs> um, Emma Watson in this is amazing. Emma Watson's great. Um... Logan Lerman. Logan Lerman's not one I've seen around recently at all. I think I've only seen that movie that he's in. No, no, wasn't he in What Women Want for like a minute? I I think he was. <laughs> I think for a moment in time he was in What Women Want. Um, And he's in that movie number 23, which I watched. I don't remember a second of it, Um, but I definitely did watch it at some point. Um, I'll get around to rewatching that at one point or another um but i haven't seen anything else he's in uh if he's in other things let me know Uh, i might be wrong there but i haven't seen him in anything else because if you look on letterboxd if i look on letterboxd really um i've seen one of 28 movies he's in because i didn't track that i watched what women want (laughs) what women want is a it's a movie Definitely is. But yeah, no. Back to Perks of Being a Wallflower. This movie is genuinely heartbreaking. Like, absolutely ball your eyes out heartbreaking. Um, the writing is incredible. It's probably my favorite, like, true coming-of-age story. Because it tells everything in uh in a beautiful almost immersive way like you watch the movie and you feel every second of it like you become part of the movie you become like a bystander in this story 
and it feels like when you're watching it, there's just, you feel numb, you know, for the 103 minutes of runtime, while you're watching the perks of being a wallflower, you feel numb from just, whoa, man, that's, like, what you're watching in that moment of time, it's, it's blowing you away, it changes your expectation of what you want out of the movie, and when you see the coming of age tag, on something, it's, this is gonna be great, but this is not gonna be perks of being a wallflower, and, you know, you almost feel stunned after it's over, because you've already cried so much, it's, I'm not one to cry a ton in movies, like, there are movies that make me sob, like, movies that made me cry are The Whale, Coco, Dio, um, After Sun made me cry a lot. But movies don't make me cry often. Like, out of the 240-something movies I've watched this already this year, only, like, six have made me cry. And The Perks of Being a Wallflower is one of them. I mean, I watched this movie for the first time recently over recommendation from a friend. But it just it grabs you and it tells you this story with such such emotion. Like just thinking about certain scenes in this movie are making me cry and I don't want to spoil it for you. Um but I I, don't, I recommend this movie time and time again. And I will continue to recommend it. Until the day I die, I will defend this movie to my grave. Um, and yes, does this movie get good reviews? Yeah, a lot of people love it. But this movie, it's so, it's just so good. It tackles insane topics. There are scenes where you'll feel uncomfortable for the characters. It's just, it makes you so happy in one scene, and then the next scene you're crying so much, and, man, it really does tackle some deep, deep stuff, though, you know, it tackles, like, childhood trauma in there, it tackles, yeah, child molestation, I believe, yeah, um, no, there's just this really, really deep stuff tackled in a really, really deep way. I, 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 I'm just gonna recommend this to you at this point. <laughs> um, watch it. I'll again go into an in-depth review of likely all of these eventually. I'll get around to telling you my full analysis of the movie a little later. Um, but yeah, I'm all I gotta say for now on that one is. It's truly a splendid, splendid telling of a 
splendid story. Um, the Parks of Being a Wallflower is also a book that I have not yet read, but I will definitely get around to that. I would like to know if the book's as good as the movie. Typically, the book's better than the movie. Um, that's a known fact, but I'd like to know. I would like to know for that one. Beautiful, beautiful film. Um, now, this is going to definitely be a jump from <laughs> one genre to another. We went from coming of age to the thing. Um, John Carpenter will come up again. A bit on this list. John Carpenter's a visionary genius. Um, John, Ra- John Carpenter and Kurt Russell actually will come back up on this list. Um, my likely one of the best things about this movie is if you go to IMDb, there's a character, there's an actor just named Jed. If you click on Jed, it shows you the dog, the wolf dog, actually. Um, <laughs> that small part in the movie. Um, yeah, really small part, actually. But, man, the thing is great. The thing is not just great. The thing is incredible. The thing is a kind of creepy, but super, at this point. Uh, yeah, actually, no, kind of creepy. Um, Movie that makes you feel uncomfortable, in a way. Um, and it's kind of told in, like, a murder mystery format of, you don't know who to trust, so you gotta try and figure everything out yourself as the watcher. Um, but it's set up in that format in, like, a horror movie, which is great. Um, if you don't know the story of the thing, it's about a group of research scientists that go to Antarctica in the middle of point-blank place, I guess, and they find out that there's an alien thing that's getting into their people, so at any point in the movie, this alien could be in, possessed in one of these workers, so they're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like a group of like 10 guys-ish. And they are, none of them know which one's the person. So, you gotta be suspicious of everyone. And Kurt Russell's in it. Kurt Russell's, like, the guy. I don't even know, like, in what. He's just the guy. (laughs) He's the guy of something. He's just the guy. Kurt Russell's so cool. Um, And this is Kurt Russell with, like, a big beard and big hair. 1980s Kurt Russell. That's, like, peak actors of all time. Like, Kurt Russell's probably within top 15 actors for me. I think he's so cool. And he's been acting for a while, you know? Kurt Russell's been around. He's done his... He's done his... Loops around the world of cinema. And uh, the thing is... One of the best aged movies of all time. Like, it just... It's so good. <laughs> um, it... It does definitely set us... It set us... It raised the bar for what was to be expected out of horror movies from then on. Um, 
to influence from other movies, I guess. Or no, influence in other movies from The Thing. They tried to remake The Thing and started it, but I couldn't finish it so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, The Thing was an anomaly of film that was one of the first horror movies I ever watched. I watched it a couple of years back. And for the first time, and man, like, I was mesmerized. There's a scene in The Fablemans which I was not enthralled by. But there was a scene in The Fablemans where Steven Spielberg, as a little kid, goes to the movie theater and there's, like, a scene where a train crashes into, like, some cars, you know? And he sits there with, like, his jaw on the floor in complete awe of what he was seeing. Now, I had never seen, like, a horror movie before. But when there was that scene that came on where the monster became, like, this big deformed thing, that was me. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Now, I know The Thing is a remake, right? A movie called, like, The Thing from Another Planet <laughs> in, like, the 50s. That I have not seen. That I would really like to see. But The Thing is just such a... It, 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 for a movie that old, it really does get to you. Like, it gets under your skin a little bit. Um... It really, it's, it's pretty scary. Um, I do recommend it heavily. I recommend it to a lot of people. But I feel like a lot of people have seen it at this point. Um, and there are scenes in that movie, like the scene where they're testing the blood, that are just so cool. <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of stupid that I've said cool likely 50 times already um, this episode. But it really does. It's a really cool movie. Um, I feel like it would probably be a better movie to watch alone than with friends. Like, there's movies you'll watch with your friends, but it's not one of those movies. It's more of a movie to kind of watch either alone or with one person, if that describes it at all. Because it's a movie that will make you think a little bit. And you don't want to have too much distraction watching the thing. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely one you should watch, and it had a big, it had a big significant impact on me as an individual, and as a film lover in general, it was one of those movies that really got me to love horror movies. So yeah, I would say that's definitely a recommendation from me, and one you should definitely watch, if anything, for the score. John Carpenter's scores are just amazing. Um, and now we're going to take a bleak turn onto a movie I definitely should not have rewatched, but did because I believe it is one of the most important films you can watch. I'm going to talk now about Come and See. Come and See is the most miserable two and a half hours you'll probably ever have in your life. Um, I don't think you can rent come and see anywhere now unless they maybe brought it back to prime recently um last i checked come and see has been like gone like wiped off the face of the earth 
except for on the Criterion channel or on DVD. I own the Criterion DVD of Cub and Sea, as I do with Eraserhead and Grand Budapest Hotel as well. I love Criterion channel. I think I, I love Criterion collection as a whole. I think they're great, and they what they're doing with bringing all these movies to like high def is awesome. But Come and See is the most bleak, depressing story ever that I've seen. Like, I've seen some depressing movies. And I'm yet to watch Schindler's List. But I'm going into that with such high expectations after watching Come and See. Come and See was filmed in a crazy way. You can read all about that. About they were like firing live bullets on set. Now they were actually torturing that kid. And that they tried to like kind of, I don't know. <laughs> there was something with like laughing gas to make it so he didn't remember what he was watching when they were filming. Because um, the director, Elam Klimov, I think his name is. I'm definitely butchering that because I don't, I can't, I'm not even going to try and do like a Russian accent to say it. <laughs> it's just, they like tortured all these actors on set. They, what they, every part of it was just so horrid. And it's like a true story. I mean, you've got this like, small area in Belarus, I think. At that time, Belarusia. Um, <laughs> in World War Two, And it's supposedly the most accurate representation of film ever. I mean, accurate representation of war in film. And, my God, is it brutal. With every scene just comes another, oh my god, is this, like, true? And it is all true, um, but it's definitely not, like, a movie you should really watch. You don't watch Come and See, you experience Come and See. Now, Come and See was a movie that, like, sweeped my legs off the floor and made me go oh my god that was incredible um but when you say come and see is a great movie there's nothing great about it there's nothing good in come and see there's just mesmerization and Acting is great if you can even consider it acting. Um, everything about Come and See is so bleak. You don't really want to talk about it. But I will. I will talk about it now. Um, Come and See is the story of a kid who gets take basically taken into war. Um, and when he gets taken in, he meets this girl. Uh... And then he tries to go back to his hometown and show the girl to his family. Um, and pretty early on into the movie, the movie just becomes brutal. And the whole movie, you're kind of thinking, oh, this is, like, terrible. 
And then the last, like, 30, 40 minutes roll around. And you don't even want to speak. Like, you don't want to think. Like, you stop, like, you start holding your breath. Like, oh my, like, this stuff you're watching, you have to realize, this is all true. This all happened. And then there's, like, scene um that if you google come and see it the first picture you're gonna see is this girl with like pipes in her mouth like frying goo and it's so there's imagery in come and see that doesn't leave your head there's moments in that movie that will forever be imprinted in your brain that will just come back randomly. And you'll just remember moments of come and see that you don't want to remember. Like once you've watched it, you feel like ruined. You feel messed up in the head from what you've been shown. Now, I watched it once and I thought there's never gonna be a movie with less rewatchability than this. Um my dad loves movies, and he'd never seen it or heard of it, because a 1985 Russian horror movie is not something people talked about back then. So I showed it to him, and it was almost worse the second time around. Like, there's parts of the movie that are just sheerly nauseating. Like, you have movies that are nauseating like anything by, um, what's his name? The guy who did Videodrome. <laughs> and you have body horror that's nauseating. A lot of people say Tusk is nauseating, but I just thought it sucked. Um, even though I haven't seen it, the concept of human centipede is nauseating. You have things that are nauseating. Um, but those are nauseating because it's body horror. Um, scenes from The Shining are nauseating. That one with that big fat naked moldy woman, that's nauseating. Um, come and see is nauseating, because it all happened. I mean, it's not like you're watching it like, oh, this isn't true, but this is really sad. You're watching it thinking, man, this pile of dead people really existed. Man, this dead body that's been rotted down to just a skeleton dressed up as Hitler, that really existed. Um... <laughs> and then they like show scenes from the real holocaust and when you're watching it you just feel like sickened by society you feel like you don't like people as a whole anymore because you know that there were people messed up enough to be standing there laughing while they're burning 50, 60 children um and you know that that's just what the world is and that there are people out there that found that acceptable for a very long time and come and see just reminds you that there are really genuinely awful people in the world and it makes you hate war even more than you could possibly imagine but by god if it's not 
the most incredibly made film of all time. Um, now, the reason it's not number one for me is because if I ever do rewatch it again, it's because someone wanted to watch it and I've been watching it against my will. Um, and that's the only rewatchability it has if you're forced to watch it again. Currency is brutal, it's bleak, but if there's going to be a movie I would say is the most important movie to watch ever, it's Come and See. Um, I'll go more in-depth eventually, um, but in, to go fully in-depth, I'd have to rewatch it, so that's not happening for a good while. Um, I'm going to go on to a slightly more happy note now, because, ah man, I'm like <laughs> feeling like weird just talking about it. Let's go to my next one, The Menu. Now, whoa, hot take for me here. Um, a movie with a 3.7 average is not the typical film bro five-star movie. But I'm not a film bro. I'm not basic. Uh, the Menu is just about the most fun I've had watching a movie. The Menu's just so cool. Not cool, even. The Menu's just great. It's hysterical. It's violent <laughs> it feels like hell's kitchen mixed with saw in a really really funny way <laughs> like it takes some moments of <laughs> okay you're gonna die from saw and like and you're gonna die in like a brutal way like we're gonna cut off your finger <laughs> um from like kind of saw ish or more just I don't know, I'm trying to think of something other than Saw, but it kind of feels down that vein of, like, the first Saw. And the hilarious moments from Hell's Kitchen, and also sharing Ray Fiennes kind of looking like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> but you'll have those moments of where you're just laughing at the dialogue, or you're laughing at this, or you're laughing at that. Um... <laughs> And then it'll just be, like, out of nowhere you were laughing about, like, something that um, Nicholas Holt said. And then <laughs> the next moment, oh, he shot himself. <laughs> and it's the sheer audacity of some things. And also it's John Leguizamo. So, I mean, yeah, there's that. It has that going for it. And it's Anya Taylor-Joy. She's great. Um, but it's just such a funny movie. Now, the impact that the menu had on me was, I love, like, a good cooking movie, but as far as, like, satire goes, the menu is amazing. The menu doesn't take itself seriously at all. At all. Um, and if you're going to consider it as a horror movie, which I personally wouldn't, it's just... It's, like, as goofy as you're gonna get with a horror movie. It's, it's got, it's gore, for sure. But it's also got its, like, really over-the-top stupid moments. Um, but it really, like, makes fun of, like, rich foodies. And, like, the terms that they'll use on cooking shows to make themselves sound smart just because... You don't know, like, what they use to put the powdered sugar on this 
cannoli as like a topping and they use like this really fancy device and the menu just like <laughs> he says oh i watched a cooking show is that that device and the chef just kind of looks at him like yeah <laughs> isn't it cool that i knew that yeah <laughs> and it's just little stupid moments like that um and i'm a huge cooking show fan like i'm watching diners drive-ins and dives daily and i love 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 the way it makes fun of it in such a a kind of horror manner it's just great <laughs> and i like there's um spoiler alert um i'm not i'm not going to really get too de- deep into it um there's a gut scene where they're cooking a cheeseburger that cheeseburger looks so delicious. <laughs> oh, I found a better movie to think of than Saw. It's kind of, in some ways, down a s- has got similar scenes to Midsommar. I think. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, There's a cheeseburger scene. That cheeseburger looks so good. Like, they put an onion in the bottom and then flipped it. Yeah. Food. Um, And they make fun of, like people that spent $20,000 to get, like, a little tiny rock with some, like, sprinkles on it. Like, it's art. It's, it's so, it's probably one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, it's the last comedy on here. It, it made me laugh so hard from beginning to end. And then, in those gory moments... Where it'll be like, oh, he shot himself. Oh, they cut his finger off. Oh, they're gonna let them run, but when they capture them, they're gonna kill them all. Stuff like that. It's kind of, in those scenes, you know how you can laugh at something like Terrifier 2 because of how completely outrageous it is? When it, ha- when it goes from comedy to horror, the horror that they have in there is you're laughing at how outrageous and downright gory it sometimes it is. So, yeah, that's that's that one for me. Um, I'll definitely go more in-depth into that one, because that's definitely a movie I'll rewatch. Um, but I'm starting to go along, so I'm going to start to shorten up these descriptions, because I spent way too much time on Come and See. <laughs> Next one, Escape from New York. This was the other John Carpenter I have in here. There's another John Carpenter. It's coming. Don't worry. This movie's amazing. For one reason and one reason only. Isaac Hayes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, this movie's just so cool. Like, think of a cooler character than Snake Plissken. I knew you couldn't. Um, I mean, there are definitely cooler characters than Snake Plissken, but, I mean, he's so, like, by the definition of, like, a middle-aged dad oh he's awesome (laughs) the concept of escape from new york is so cool manhattan becomes the maximum security prison and they gotta go save the president's daughter uh or no no not the president's daughter i just mistook that with resident evil the president yeah the president gets stuck jeez um so they send this really cool um What's the word? Oh my god, criminal. I'm an idiot. They send this really, like, tough criminal 
to go in and fight it out. And he has, like, I think 24 hours because he's been injected with poison. And he has 24 hours to get in there, get the president, and get out or else he dies. I, I know that sounds like crank, but it's not. <laughs> um, with that stupid poison concept. They do that a lot now. But Escape from New York takes that concept and puts it together in this awesome way. Now, if that movie itself is not enough to sell you, there's going to be one thing and one thing only that will completely sell you on this movie. And it is the most incredible score you will ever see in a movie. Like, I'm telling you right now, there are scores for movies like Halloween. And there are scores for a lot of great movies. But nothing comes close to even touching Escape from New York. I've got a record collection of things like Chicago and Meatloaf and Kiss. I have Escape from New York on vinyl. And whenever I'm, like, doing anything at all, I am listening to Escape from New York while I work. Because... Every song from Escape from New York goes down the same vein of, oh, that's a John Carpenter song. And it just does it so well. And the score fits the movie so well, but then that's the music can be listened to at any other time. Because it's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, And the fact that they ended up using Snake Plissken as a uh, like a canvas for sn- Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid is so cool. Um, and everything about this movie is awesome. It's, there's just some, like, really, really, like, really cool, tough moments where, like, Snake Plissken will, like, bite someone, but it'll be, like, the most brutal fist fight you've ever seen. And he just doesn't, like, stop his straight face because he's, ooh, tough guy. <laughs> it's just such an awesome movie. Now, if we're going to stay on the vein of awesome movies, let's go into single-handedly one of the most grandpa movies of all time. 2001 A Space Odyssey. I know I said grandpa movies because... Even if you didn't know it, your grandpa loves 2001. Film might have peaked in 1968 when 2001 A Space Odyssey came out. Now, I get that there's definitely five more movies above this, but those are movies that I have insane personal connection to. And by the way, the personal connection to Escape from New York, I forgot to mention It's just that that's, like, the movie I watched with my dad that was, like, the most fun movie-going experience I've ever had. Because my dad, like, has read book after book on it. So that movie really, really had a very touching experience when I watched it. Because it's probably the most excited I've ever seen my dad watching a movie. And I watched it when I was a little younger. Um, so that whole experience meant the world to me, watching Escape from New York. And it's also such a great movie. But, yeah, no, that was a 
a big personal connection one for me. Now, 2001 was as I was saying. 2001 I watched with my grandpa. Um Now, I didn't know this before probably around 2 months ago. Um my grandpa knows everything about 2001. So again, I go into film going experience for this one. 2001 though goes past that. Now I had an amazing experience watching it. And I had so much fun watching it. But definitively, as far as definition goes, 2001 is probably one of the greatest films ever created. Like, for 1968, cinematography in this movie is better than likely most other movies you've seen. Now, is that because it's Stanley Kubrick and he just is allergic to making bad movies? Probably. Um, And I don't know a lot of these actors, because I don't think a lot of them have done a lot of things. Um, But my God, was the acting good in these movies. The acting was great. I didn't know why I started saying these, but it's this. 2001 has a, I don't even know if you'd call it a score, because a lot of it uses the eeriness of the complete silence of space to its advantage, and it just does everything so beautifully. And there's some movies, some moments kind of cheesy, and kind of like, oh, that's kind of cringy now. Um, kinda. I mean, some of the moments with Hal are definitely not aging the best, but I will say the movie is definitely something to admire with its opening segment with the the apes and all of the lines from Douglas Rain, I believe his name is, who voices Hal. All of his lines are so eerie, you know, and some of them are a little bit cheesy, um, but, my God, in 1968, they they predicted the AI takeover. Did they not? <laughs> um, and they predicted that AI will take. But, yeah, no, 2001 to a lot of people is going to be the most boring movie ever. A lot of people are going to fall asleep. But, frankly... This movie is, like, terrifying how well it aged. Um, I bet that's been said before, that it's aged scarily well. But 2001 genuinely did age like wine. It's, 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 it's still a beautiful, beautiful film. Now I gotta rush right into the second Kubrick on here. Um, number five for me, The Shining. Whoa. Talk about movies that had an impact on my life as a whole. The Shining was the first time I watched a movie and was genuinely terrified by it. Um, I know The Shining's been memed time and time again now with shots like Jack Nicholson. Um, Frozen. Spoiler alert for the five people that haven't seen The Shining. 
um and the shot of like the two girls with the receding hairline but you say these things like it's a joke when you're watching the shining and first of all everything is a character in this movie the sound effects are a character the little cut-ins and outs of like the blood coming out of the elevator that's a character everything in the shining is a character and Danny Lloyd was great, even though he was a little kid, he was great. Shelley Duvall was amazing. I mean, you know the story with Shelley Duvall getting tortured on set. Everyone knows that at this point. Now, likely, what a lot of people say, The Shining's not better than 2001. What are you talking about? The Shining, um, like I said, the first time I was ever genuinely terrified by a movie. The Shining, I... I've, like, The Shining, I've done a school project on because of how great it is. The Shining, um, changed my view on everything when it came to movies. Jack Nicholson, I got my first, like, ounce of respect for him from that. And since I first watched The Shining, I've watched movies, like, as good as it gets, where Jack Nicholson's just a brilliant, brilliant man. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um... The movie also has Scatman Crothers in it, doesn't it? I think he, I think he is in it. Um, yeah, he is. Uh, man, The Shining is such a great, great movie. Everything about The Shining is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, but there's some stuff about The Shining that really sticks with you. Like, the Kubrick stare in The Shining is my favorite Kubrick stare moment. Um, the way Jack Nicholson plays insanity is scary. Um, Jack Nicholson came out of, like, the cage recently. Like, he came out onto his balcony, and a lot of people say he looked awful. I say he's 85 and is mad at the paparazzi popping out at him immediately. But, yeah, no, he didn't look very good in that picture. We've all seen it at this point, but... Uh, if you're hearing this in some way, shape, or form, Jack Nicholson, I love you, man. You're great. <laughs> um, he stopped attending the Oscars recently, which scared me because I'm used to Jack Nicholson being at the Oscars. But he's an older man now. But he is still, in my opinion, top five best actors of all time. Like, you've got your Al Pacinos and your Robert De Niro's in there as well. But Jack Nicholson is incredible at every role he plays but in this movie he plays insanity shockingly well like it makes you think he's genuinely insane um and it's a very believable performance and if this movie is not one of the most terrifying pieces of cinema ever i don't know what is like tell me something genuinely scarier than that one shot where it cuts from uh, those girls standing there holding hands to, like, the dead bodies of the girls. Like, that's scary, man. And those are the scenes that stick with you and keep you up at night, The Shining has. Has a lot of them. Um, In my opinion, The Shining is a, if we're rating out of 100 here because Rotten Tomatoes, that's an 100 out of 100 movie. Um, I give The Shining five stars. Uh, Because I believe it is a truly, truly 
magnificent work of art more than it is a film. And I am a, I again have not read the book by Stephen King. Um, that's one I likely won't read because I imagine the Stephen King book of The Shining is way scarier than the movie, and the movie scared me. Like it, it, it got me good. Um, and The Shining, even if you don't want to call it scary, is incredibly eerie. Now that's my favorite Kubrick. I think Kubrick is a brilliant, brilliant director, but that's my favorite of his. Now I'm going to hop right on to the last carpenter of our list. Let's go into Halloween here. Halloween, in my opinion, is easily the most rewatchable movie of all time. Halloween does not have a bad moment in it. Halloween is likely one of the most iconic horror movies of all time. I would say it's a must-see film of all time for me. I think... Jamie Lee Curtis is incredible in it. I think the actor, Michael Myers, whoever he is, um, he's pretty creepy. Like he's, ab- he's able to walk really scarily. Like he makes you feel like, when he's walking. Donald Pleasance is amazing in it. Um, there's other actresses and actors around. But um, the real standout of this movie, besides the score, because the score is amazing, The real standout of this movie is the cinematography. Like, let's cut to the chase here. There are very, very, very few things scarier in movies than that shot when Michael's, like, standing in the clotheslines and then there's just, like, a blink-and-you-miss-it moment where he just disappears. It's a a very heebie-jeebies movie, you know? And I wouldn't say Michael Myers is, like, scary, you know? Like, nothing about Halloween is scary, per se. It just, it's just so fun. Like, it's the definitive best slasher movie. Um, and there's that one scene where Michael Myers comes in. (laughs) The stereotypical ghost sheet costume. That was really funny. Um, there are definitely, like, some kind of silly moments. And then there's some really, really intense moments. And I know a lot of people are bound to give Halloween a four and a half, you know? But I think that Halloween is definitively a five-star movie. Because it has the very, very stereotypical 80s slasher movie moments. No, it's 70s, is it not? It feels like an 80s slasher. Um, but it's a 70s slasher that impacted the whole world of film of all time. Like, it it inspired generations of film. Like, horror and not. Um, it's just a great, great movie that I understand why everyone copies moments from. And I understand why everyone references it. Like, I bet you, even if I haven't realized it, Simpsons is probably referenced Halloween time and time again. Um, and that la and that last scene where she's like stabbing him with like the clothes hanger, like screaming fending for her life, it's probably one of the most and I know it's like a very iconic scene. That scene should be talked about way more, in my opinion. Now this next movie is tied with two for me, but I put it in third because one and two are probably the most influential movies ever for me. Third for me is Evil Dead 2. 
Okay. I know no one gives this movie five stars, really. Like, realistically, I don't think a lot of people have given Evil Dead 2 five stars. I love the whole Evil Dead franchise, and I will stand up for every movie in that series until the day I die. And I'm so excited for Evil Dead Rise, and when Evil Dead Rise comes out, you bet your butt I'm doing a full analyzation of the entire Evil Dead franchise, and I will. I'll take notes and everything. Evil Dead 2 is one of the most magnificent horror films of all time. Ash Williams, or Ashley J. Williams, if you will, it's such a funny, cool, and also really, like, <laughs> unnecessarily violent character. And it's so funny. Because Bruce Campbell, if you look at him on, like, Instagram, <laughs> is just some, like, dad. Because <laughs> he didn't know what he was getting himself into when he did um, Evil Dead. Because he did it with Sam as kind of, like, what I presume is a joke. And um, not necessarily a joke, actually. I feel like it'd be rude of me to say it was a joke. But... Because <laughs> he did um, old, old movies with Sam. He did a movie called... He did a movie called um, It's Murder way back when, because I read um, that book he did. He did It's Murder way back when. He did a couple other movies, and he did something called Attack of the Helping Hand, which I watched. And I would say it's definitely, definitely worth your time. It's on YouTube. It's six minutes. It's so funny. Um, he's done other movies since then. Um, <laughs> and he did little shorts in between. And then he did Evil Dead. Now, Evil Dead was incredibly gory. Um, in all of its gory glory, I would say. And then... He did a couple other small things, and then he did Evil Dead 2. And then when he did Evil Dead 2, everyone was like, wait a minute, who is this guy? He did Darkman at some point in there. And then he did Army of Darkness. And then after Army of Darkness, he started getting in big things like Fargo, Escape from L.A., Bubba Hotep. And then he did the Spider-Man movies. He did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I think. <laughs> He did Multiverse of Madness recently, and he did a movie called Black Friday, which was actually unwatchable. But he did all these movies. And Evil Dead 1 was great, don't get me wrong. But Evil Dead 2 is one of the funniest horror comedy mixes of all time. Like, you have these moments in Evil Dead 2, like the groovy scene is definitively one of the best scenes of all time in my opinion you have um you have the moment where he cuts the head off the lady with the shovel <laughs> and you have all these funny funny moments there's the fight with henrietta which was ted Raimi, which i learned recently that really made me laugh you have the um i'm trying to think you have the scene where everything in the house, in the cabin, starts laughing. 
Um, you have the fact that if you go through um, the cast, <laughs> and they'll just have, like, Shemp in several spots. Because they really did make it as, like, uh, like, they were just doing it because Sam Raimi thought it was fun. And the Evil Dead franchise is, like, a gift from the heavens, in my opinion, for our world. But if, if you were to say to me, or ask me, what is the best line in cinema? Groovy. And I saw that on a review, and I liked that review. <laughs> and Groovy is actually the best line in cinema. So, um, hold on, I gotta find the review and thank that person for giving me that line. Thank you, number one Gizmo fan, for helping me think about that. Uh, yeah, no, Groovy is definitively the best line in cinema. <laughs> it's so funny, because that just, now all you hear when you think of Groovy is either Austin, now, yeah, Austin Powers, yeah, Austin Powers and Ash Williams. Um, the blood in Evil Dead 2 so, so funny. It's, like, absolutely outrageous. Like, he fights his hand. You got the chainsaw arm for the first time in Evil Dead 2. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I gotta get to the next movie, though, now. Um, but yeah, no. Evil Dead 2. Splendid, splendid work of art and film. Now, number two for me, The Warriors. Hear me out. The coolest movie of all time. Whoa. The Warriors is a movie I was introduced to at a very, very young age. And... Likely, I was the only person in fifth, fifth grade who knew what The Warriors was. <laughs> but, at some point in my life, I I put um, the three bottles on my fingers, clanked them together, and I had to explain to my friend what that was and then they watched it and they loved it so yeah the warriors is a movie that you can share your love to anyone with because you got to be an idiot to not appreciate it like everyone should just love the warriors and i get everyone has their own opinion on movies but the warriors is just a great movie like, you can't not like the Warriors. And there are going to be people who are going to give the Warriors, like, a low rating and say, this movie sucks. This movie is too violent. This and that. And there are, I read a review that said, um, and I took a picture of it. Yeah, it said, <laughs> couldn't get past the first fight scene. Purely awful in every way. How is this considered a cult classic? Um... Again, I respect everyone having an opinion, but screw you. 
because the first fight scene in this movie was, I think, the one with the orphans. Did they fight the orphans? I think they did. I think they did. Yeah, they fought the orphans. Um, that is, like, the coolest scene ever. And if you couldn't make it past the first fight scene, you didn't get to the, um, baseball furies. You didn't get to the baseball furies. So, yeah. If you didn't get to the baseball furies, that's your problem for missing out on that scene. Because that's so cool. No, I mean everything about this movie is cool. All the way down to the fact that it shares an actor with hair. If you share an actor with hair, that's how you know you're good. Dorsey Wright. Dorsey Wright is awesome. Dorsey Wright was great, great, great in hair. I think you should seriously watch hair, though. Um, that was a movie that had a huge significance on me as a small child. I listened to that song and the cover of it by the Cowsels. Nah, that's an old person thing to say. The castle. No one knows who that is. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, The Warriors is awesome. Uh, Another movie experience that I got to have with my dad. But The Warriors, like, changed the way I viewed movies in general. Like, The Warriors, when I watched it for the first time... I remember it being one of those movies where I sat there in awe the whole time. And I was lucky enough to see the Warriors on 35mm at a drive-in. Where they showed, like, actual film of it. And you got to experience it like how people did in the 70s. And it felt like such an authentic, almost life-changing experience for me as a movie fan. Because as someone who loves the Warriors, you got to experience it in the form that the director intended. So maybe movie-going bias for me, but the Warriors is like... I could have it on his background noise and still know what's going on from like a sound effect of them like stepping on something. Because of how familiar I am with it now. Um, and that's number two for me. Now, number one is likely the biggest hot take on this list. Number one for me absolutely changed my life. Number one for me is Man on the Moon. Yes, it's that Andy Kaufman movie. Yes, it's, oh, that movie? Man on the Moon will scramble up what you think is real and make you bawl your eyes out while you do it. Andy Kaufman is my one of my biggest inspirations in life. Because what Andy did, Andy made people hate him intentionally and then even though he had this big act going and people hated him at the time and thought oh this is just some a-hole who fights women 
he was just a smart guy. I was absolutely mesmerized by this movie because I had known Andy Kaufman very briefly beforehand from clips of him on Saturday Night Live and Fridays, and I had then, um, I listened to R.E.M., and I realized, wait a minute, this song is called Man on the Moon, and I was led down a rabbit hole that landed me on this. This movie, first of all, is the reason I love Jim Carrey, and I love Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's number one on that top five actors list for me, because I just adore all of his work. Jim Carrey is a brilliant, brilliant man, and this is what got me to love him. This is, it's truly amazing. I've seen Taxi now because I've grown to adore Andy Kaufman above every other comedian in the world. And I know there's people who still hate Andy Kaufman. But Man on the Moon had such a significance to me. Um, Because the acting was amazing. I saw the Jim and Andy documentary, which I didn't like as much as the movie itself, but I still would say, if any of what Jim Carrey said is true, it's it's insane. It's like absolutely bonkers. But the reason I don't believe it is I was blessed with the opportunity to have a full conversation with Jerry Lawler. If you don't know who Jerry Lawler is, he was one of the big people in Andy Kaufman's whole act. I was blessed with the opportunity to have a full conversation with him. And Andy Kaufman was just this normal guy who was such a polite man. Andy Kaufman was a guy who refused to call people by their first name because he believed anyone who was, like, a great person did not deserve to be treated informally, so he referred to people as Mr. This, Mrs. That. Um, Which is what's not believable about the Jim and Andy documentary, because if Andy Kaufman was this super nice man... Well, then, why would he be an a-hole to everyone on set? I don't know. It, it doesn't seem true to me. But being given the opportunity to talk to Jerry Lawler was eye-opening for me. And all of this journey of mine, and I I did a school project on Andy Kaufman. Um, and the teacher didn't know who he was, and by the end of it, I had learned who the who Andy was, and it was insane. Um, I would I would have adored I would have loved if Andy Kaufman was still alive now. You know, it's heartbreaking that he died. You know, and the end of the movie made me cry so much so sad but the whole movie was so brilliant Jim Carrey's acting was amazing everything about the whole movie was just amazing 
if you don't know who Andy Kaufman is, I would take Man or Moon as that eye-opening experience for you. I think Milos Forman is a brilliant, brilliant director. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Hair was amazing. I also mentioned Once Love Could Take the Test earlier. Um, Man on the Moon is not just a movie. Man on the Moon is a surreal experience of film. Because I get that there are people who don't like Man on the Moon. There are people who are just like, no, Andy Kaufman was this stupid, stupid guy. Andy Kaufman was a jerk. But he wasn't. And even though the movie doesn't has parts that don't really do him justice, that just make him look a little bit crazy. The ability to have someone like Jim Carrey, who's this innovative comedian, play someone who inspired him is really touching. And the way that they do execute it is really good. And the movie's great. And it talks about things like Andy Kaufman's TV special, which I have seen, that's very, very funny. And he just and they talk about all the stuff that he did. There are some things that they missed, some projects that they probably could have talked about. Um, probably better that they left heartbeats out of it. But it is touching, touching story of a brilliant man who was taken too soon. I recommend this movie time and time again. And I think that if you haven't seen it yet, which maybe you haven't, you should. Um, I would say for the most part, it does do Andy justice, which is what he deserves. And I think that even though, even though it starts off pretty slow, this is really a movie you should give a shot. Because I think it'll make you think twice before you make immediate judgments on someone like Andy. I think that it's a very, very important movie that I have immense respect for. It's a really, really sad story. And, yeah. That's my top 15 movies. Um... Yeah, I'm I'm recommending all of those to you if you'd like that list again. That is at 15 you have Grand Budapest Hotel, 14 Babylon, 13 Little Miss Sunshine, 12 Pulp Fiction, 11 Perks of Being a Wallflower, 10 The Thing, 9 Come and See, 8 The Menu, 7 Escape from New York, 6 2001 Space Odyssey, 5 The Shining, Halloween, Four, at four, um, three Evil Dead, two, two The Warriors, and one Man on the Moon. They all had a huge significance on me, and I, I bet there are definitely some takes in there that you'll all disagree with. But just remember, if you got one thing out of this video, I mean, out of the podcast, I'm an idiot. I'm not used to the whole podcast format yet. If you got one thing out of this, it's to please, for the love of God, order a Royale with cheese from McDonald's and tag me in it. My at on TikTok is Jagger Film Reviews. Please, please, for the love of God, tag me in it. I want to see someone order a Royale with cheese. Thank you. And I'll see you next time on Average Film Enjoyer. This has been Jagger. Goodbye.